Well, last Sunday we talked about the importance of spiritual leadership and we talked a, a good bit about what that should look like in the home. That was one of the points of application and today we get to carry that idea further. We are going to talk about some about the, the interaction we have, relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, but the primary relationship within the home is between a husband and wife and that's going to be brought up in our passage of scripture today. But before we get there, let's broaden our scope just a bit and talk about how we treat one another. Uh, you know, all of us who are followers of Christ have the same father. And so that means that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and how we treat one another really matters. You know, I, I grew up with just one older brother. I don't know what it was like for you, but it was just two of us. And so I was that bratty younger brother that anytime my older brother did something, you know, wrong, I would go and tattle on him and try to get him in trouble. You know, that, that was kind of the dynamic. And so we, you know, we, we got along okay, but we were at each other pretty much all the time. And I just kind of assumed that that was normal and, you know, it seems to be fairly normal and I didn't think much of it until I had kids of my own. And then suddenly when I had my own kids, I wanted them to be kind and I wanted them to love each other well. And when that wasn't happening, you know, it really bothered me. And a lot of the time it didn't happen that way. But we did just find out about two or three years ago that at least there was one instance where our two girls worked together. See, here's what we discovered. And this is really weird. I'm just going to tell you on the front end. But here's what we discovered. That they schemed together and would sneak downstairs after we were asleep. Because Autumn wanted to eat butter. I'm not making this up. So she really liked butter when she was a kid. <laughs> and they, so I'm thinking if that's as bad as you got with sneaking down the steel butter, you're doing pretty good. But she would go downstairs. Brooke would hoist her up. She would get like some of the sticks of butter. And I guess they must have cut pieces off. Otherwise, we'd have seen little teeth marks, you know, just gnawing on. I don't know exactly how all that worked. But Autumn would steal the butter. Brooke would help her. And I'm quite sure that Brooke, uh, you know, required things of her in uh, response for her helping her, being her accomplice. In fact, I do know that one of the things that she did require of her, Brooke was always a bit anxious growing up. And uh, she was scared to sleep by herself. So she told Autumn she had to sleep in her room with her. And she made Autumn sleep closest to the closet because... Because as Brooke told her, the monsters will eat you first. So that's just, you know, that's kind of a picture of our household <laughs> growing up. And, you know, I look back at that now and, you know, it's just kind of funny. But I wondered at the time, are they even going to speak to each other when they get older? Any parents ever have this question run through your mind? What have we done? We are horrible parents. I look at the way our kids treat each other. What, what have we, where have we gone wrong, right? Anybody else ever wondered that? And we wondered that many, many times. We didn't know that they actually worked together, at least in one case, to steal butter. But we just saw them at each other all the time. And all of that kind of began to shift a little bit when Brooke started to drive. Because here's what happened. When Brooke started to drive... We decided that we could encourage, no, let me say that a different way. We decided that we could bribe them to become friends by giving them, you know, like ice cream money. And we'd be like, here's 10 bucks. Go have ice cream together. Just the two of you, Brooke, take your sister and y'all go have ice cream. And it worked. It was amazing. They actually became really close friends. And that was the start of that friendship. And so uh, I, I tell you that story for a couple things first so that you can know. That whatever weird things your kids do, it's probably not any weirder than sneaking downstairs at night to steal butter. So you can feel okay about whatever's going on in your family. And then secondly, to know there is hope 
for your kids. If you feel like they're at, their throat, at each other's throats all the time, uh, just bribe them with ice cream money, and maybe that will, will turn out better in the long run. But most importantly, I'll tell you that story just to make this point. It bothered us as parents when our kids were, were at each other all the time. And I know, because I read my Bible, that it bothers God when his children don't get along well. And the beginning of the, the, the passage that we're going to be in today, we're going to pick up in Malachi chapter 2. If you want to start to find your way there, we're going to, we're going to see a little bit. We'll start in verse 10 here in a moment. But the, the first part of this is just kind of in general, how people treat one another. And then he moves into the specifics of the marriage relationship. But remember that last week, God was calling out the priests for not providing the right type of spiritual leadership. Now he's going to move to all the people and kind of call them out for where they were falling short and not upholding his standards either. So let's pick it up. Malachi 2, starting in verse 10. Do we not have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. What we see here in verse 9 where he's talking about them uh, profaning the covenant by being unfaithful to one another. To reference back to, to verse 9, it, this is verse 10, I may have said 9 minutes ago. This is verse 10 referring back to verse 9 where uh, he is getting on the priest because they were showing partiality in matters of the law. And Leviticus 19.15 says, Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. And so by not doing that, by showing this partiality, he says that you are profaning the covenant that you had made with God. That word profane is an interesting word. It literally means to bore or to pierce through something. And think about it like this. If you have a gas line... And it gets profane in that says it gets, it gets punctured in some way. And there is a hole in the gas line. Then the gas is going to all just escape through that hole, right? The, the line is not going to do what, what it was intended to do because it's been punctured. And God is saying, look, well, you entered into this covenant. And this covenant was to protect you and to bless you and to bring you together as my people. And yet you've punctured that covenant. And so it's not... In, fulfilling its intended purpose so treat one another the right way don't be unfaithful to one another and then he gets even more specific in verse 11 and he talks about how one very specific area they had been unfaithful to one another and to God is in marriage it says at the end of verse 11 that they were marrying women 
who worshipped a foreign god. Now before we jump into this passage a little bit further, let's talk about what the intended purpose of marriage was in the beginning. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, you see that God created man. He said it wasn't good for the man to be alone, so he created a partner for him, woman, and and then he brought the two together. Genesis 2, 25, where it talks about the two coming together as one. And so God's purpose was to create unity and to create community within this marriage relationship. And we know, too, he, went, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And we see that again emphasized here in verse 15. Part of the purpose of this marriage was procreation. And it was to produce human offspring. Uh, but... The, the, the dynamic of that relationship itself was really important as well. And then you get into the New Testament and you see there's another purpose behind marriage and what it's all about. And Ephesians 5, it goes through and addresses husbands and wives and their different roles within the relationship. And then you get to verse 32 and he's talking about all this, you know, Wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, as Christ loved the church, all this. But then he gets to verse 32 and he says, this is a profound mystery, but... I'm talking about Christ and the church. So here he is talking about husbands and wives. He says, but I'm really talking about Christ and the church. You know, one of the primary purposes of marriage is to reflect the relationship between Christ and his church. And that's why it's such a big deal when one or both partners within that marriage are not treating each other faithfully. And by the way, don't let that term faithful just take you one direction that we normally think of when we think of being unfaithful. It's a lot broader than that. Uh, but that relationship is to be one of, of trust and honor and love because it's supposed to reflect the way Christ and his church relate to one another. So with that in mind, let me share with you just a couple of, of, of I guess, main ideas from this passage about that, starting with this, and that is that a husband and a wife must be on the same page spiritually. Let's just start there, because he makes it really clear that you have um, done, a, it says, a detestable thing by marrying women who worship foreign gods. Now, the issue here is that God said to the people, you must not marry those from who, who worship foreign gods. And we might ask the question, well, why is that such a big deal? I mean, isn't love the most important thing? And if you love somebody, won't that overcome any other obstacle? And does it really matter what that person's background is or what their religious beliefs are as long as you really love one another? And maybe more importantly, does this even apply to us today? Is this kind of outdated and out uh, you know, old-fashioned? Well, let's start by, by talking about why God gave them this command not to marry other people. This has nothing to do with uh, what we might call um, you know, a, 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 a marriage where two people coming from different backgrounds, whether it be races or uh, ethnicities or whatever it may be. That's not the issue that's being addressed here. I want to be really clear about that. This has nothing to do with skin color or background or anything else. It has everything to do with God saying, I don't want my people who are worshiping me to join with someone else who worships a foreign God. That's clearly what the issue is. In Deuteronomy 7, 3 and 4, it says this, do not intermarry with them. Now, this, by the way, is when they're, uh, God's about to drive the people out of the land they're to possess. And then he gives them this instruction in advance. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Here's why. For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. 
So the reason is very, very clear. What he's saying here is that when, when one of his own children intermarries with somebody who is following another God, the likelihood is that that person is going to draw the believer away from God. And we see that all the time, don't we? Some of you, like, you get that. That's part of your story. Like, you've walked down that path, and you know how difficult that may be uh, because you've experienced it in your own life or somebody in your family or somebody that you know well, and you've seen that it's really, really difficult for somebody who's seeking to follow Jesus to follow him wholeheartedly if they're married to someone who is pursuing something else and has some other priority. And going back to um, you know, this whole intended purpose of marriage of oneness, the two shall come together and it says become one flesh, but it's talking about oneness in, in every area of their relationship. How is it even possible for two people who don't share the same priorities in life to become one? I mean, as a follower of Jesus, our primary goal in life should be to know and honor God. Like, that's number one. And so how is someone whose number one priority is to know and honor God, how is that person going to become one with someone whose priority definitely is not? And if they're not a believer, that's definitely not their priority. Or maybe they're, and we might look at that and say, well, they're not worshiping a foreign God. You know, they're not from a different religion. Well, still... Is their priority, number one priority, to know and honor God or not? And it's really, really difficult to, to come together um, as one if we don't share those things in common. Now, I want to also just say this, super important to say this. What we're, it's not enough to just say, well, the other person is a Christian. Now, let me just speak for a moment to those of you that aren't married, which is a decent number of us here today. Either, um, you know, maybe you just haven't gotten to that stage of life yet, and maybe you will or, or have been there. And, but... It's really, really important to say this. It's not enough to just say, well, she's a Christian or he's a Christian, and so we can get married. When we're talking about being on the same page spiritually, what we're talking about is pursuing God at the same pace, right? But we're, we're, we're ideally pursuing him with everything we have. We're running as hard as we can after God. And think of it like this. Two people can both be believers, but if one of them is pursuing God at a pace of, say, 30 miles per hour, and then the second one is pursuing God at a pace of five, five miles per hour. What's going to happen to the, the distance in the relationship? It's going to become greater and greater and greater over time, right? So that one's a little bit easier to see. But I want you to consider this. Let's say that one is pursuing God at a pace of 30 miles per hour. And the other is pursuing God at a pace of 29.9 miles per hour. Now, if you are driving a car at 30 miles per hour and you're next to someone who's driving at 29.9 miles per hour, after an hour, this is going to feel like math class, isn't it? After an hour, how far away are you? You're a tenth of a mile apart. Not much, right? After 10 hours, what are you? Now you've become a mile apart. And then that gap grows to 72 miles after a month, 876 miles after a year, and thousands of miles over the course of several years. Now, the point is, we need to find someone who is pursuing God at the same pace that we are. Otherwise, it will bring distance in the relationship. One of the things that uh, Sean and I enjoy doing, she, she does more of this than I do. She's better about it than me. But often I will go with her to walk our dogs. 
And whenever we walk the dogs together, here's the challenge that we have. Sean has really long legs. And she's just always in a hurry, I think, because she walks really, really fast. And often when we are walking together, she realizes that she has to slow down and wait on me. That is not the picture you want when it comes to pursuing God. You don't want to be with somebody that you're constantly like, okay, i got to slow down, i got to let them catch up. You know, you want someone that's going to be moving at that same pace so that you can uh, pursue God at the, at the same rate. Now, the, the question then becomes, okay, what if that's not the case? What if either I'm currently married to someone who's not a believer or I'm married to someone who is not pursuing God at the same pace that I am? What do I do then? And uh, the scripture does very clearly address that first one in 1 Corinthians 7, 13 through 16. I'm not going to take the time to read it right now, but I'll just summarize it for you. Uh, essentially, it instructs the believing spouse to stay in that relationship as long as the unbelieving spouse is willing to stay in the relationship as well. And it gives two reasons why that's important. The first, it says, for your children. Your children need that godly influence on a, a regular, consistent basis. So that's one of the reasons. But the other thing that it says is, how do you know that you might save? Now, we know it's God, obviously. But you might save that unbelieving spouse. That through your witness, that person may come to faith in Christ. And many of you, I, I'm, I'm sure there are people, somebody in this room today, uh, or, or will be at some point today, that's going to be like, that's my story. Like, I got married, I wasn't a believer, my spouse was a believer, and through that person's influence, you came to faith in Christ. And we hear those stories and we celebrate the fact that God brings redemption in those types of situations. But I think I can read some of your minds. Some of you then say, well, if that's the case then why shouldn't I just go ahead and marry this person I'm thinking about marrying? Because, you know, all the time this happens where people, you know, they marry an unbeliever and then they end up coming to Christ and everything works out in the end. First of all, I would say thank God for those stories of redemption. And thank God that he can take our sinfulness and our rebellion and he can work through it to bring good in any situation and we celebrate that. But do we really want to say that it's okay to rebel against God because he might bring good out of our rebellion. That's, that's a dangerous mindset to have. And God does make it clear that, that we need to uh, be united to, to those that are on the same page spiritually. The flip side of that, too, is um, we hear those stories, we celebrate those stories. Uh, and by the way, you're going to, well, if, I would encourage you to go back. If you're in the service, you may not see it. At 11 o'clock, we're going to have a baptism. And part of the person's testimony is coming out of a Buddhist background uh, and, and coming to Christ here just recently. And again, a great example of how this happens and, and God works. But what we often don't hear are the stories of heartbreak where the believing spouse doesn't ever see that happen. And rather than bringing the other person to Christ, what happens is that person who is a believer begins to get drawn away and begins to get pulled away from God or just lives with this heartbreak of I can't share the most important thing in my life with the person that I love the most. Um, now again, if that's the situation you're in, you know, continue on in that and, and continue to love that person with all your heart. Um, but the goal is to, to be on the same page spiritually and, and we have a wonderful resource to help with that. 
Um, this week, actually, this Tuesday, we begin the next round of Reengage 14-week program that is designed to help you build your marriage on biblical foundations and to be able to, to kind of pursue, that's, that's the goal, to be able to say, okay, we are on the same page spiritually and we'll provide some support and encouragement to help you get there where you aren't. Uh, but I can't encourage that highly enough. But take some steps to where you can grow together uh, in your relationship. So marriage uh, should reflect Christ's relationship with the church. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, it goes on in verse 13. And it says, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure. And then it says, Why? Verse, verse 14, it's because the Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is the partner of the wife of your marriage covenant. You know, we, we know one of the reasons why uh, God was um, disciplining his people during the time of Malachi, and that was they were bringing the offerings that were not the best that they had to give the lame and the, all, the, all the offerings. We talked about that one. But he gives a second reason. One of the other reasons they were under God's discipline is because of the way in this particular culture men were treating their wives because they kind of had the upper hand in that culture. But it's, it's how they were treating their wives. So here's the second main idea is that you can't be right with God if you aren't right with your spouse. That's essentially what he's saying here. That, that you need to, to treat that spouse in the right way in order for your relationship with me to be right. And again, I want to broaden this term. Um, we'll, we'll come back to this a little bit later because he does speak specifically about divorce. But when he talks about being unfaithful, that has much broader connotations than just giving up on the marriage or uh, whatever else we may think that that means. But I want you to notice in verse 15 and 16, he repeats the same phrase in two consecutive verses, he says, So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. A more literal translation is this. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Literally, that's what it says. And he repeats it twice. So he's saying, pay attention. This is really, really important. Be on your guard. Make sure that, that you are really paying attention to what I'm saying. And, and he says, don't be unfaithful. And that word unfaithful means to deal treacherously with. It could mean divorcing your spouse, but it could mean something much deeper than that. Verse 16 says that the result of the one who divorces his spouse, uh, it says he does violence to the one he should protect. That little phrase there, for whatever reason, that just kind of jumped off the page to me. That he does violence to the one he should protect. And yes, divorcing her was one way that that could happen. But that can happen in a lot of different ways as well. And guys, in particular, I think this one is, is specifically directed toward us. The question is this, are we doing violence to the one that we should protect? Because God's design for us is to love and to protect our spouse. And we can do violence in a lot of different ways. If it's physical violence, that's something that we certainly are well aware of. And by the way, I would just say, ladies, if you find yourself in a situation where you are being abused, would you please, please reach out for help? Let me just say this. It's not your fault. You're not bringing this on yourself. It's not okay. And I would also say it's not going to get better on its own. 
you're going to have to reach out. And I know that's hard. I know that's terrifying. Reach out for help. Um, man, how it's so, so very important if there's physical violence taking place in the relationship that that be dealt with and that you be put in a place where you can be safe uh, and not be um, subjected to that. But it also does go way beyond that. I mean, think about whether it's exploding, you know, just uh, in anger at somebody that is doing violence to your spouse. Whether it's even stuffing everything inside and shutting them off emotionally, that's doing violence to your spouse. There are so many different ways that we can, can go about that. I think one of them that, that is most prevalent in our culture today is pornography. And think about that in terms of how that is doing violence to the other spouse. And, and somebody may say, oh, I'm not hurting anybody. It's just, you know, it's just what I'm looking at. I'm not doing anything with it. That is doing violence to the spouse. That, that is harming that relationships, that relationship between you and your spouse. And sometimes, sometimes what happens is that this progresses to the point of becoming a full-blown affair. Sometimes maybe it's an emotional thing. That's doing violence to a spouse. Just to let your heart be drawn after another man or another woman and develop an emotional connection that is deeper and more intimate than it should be. That's doing violence. But sometimes it even does progress to the point of a physical relationship, an adulterous relationship. And that certainly is doing violence to your spouse. Whatever the case is, here's what I'm going to encourage you and urge you to do today. And that is, got to bring it out into the open. You're going to have to confess it. You're going to have to have a really, really difficult conversation with your spouse. And it's going to be the most terrifying thing you've ever done in your life. And it's going to be very painful but it's the only way to move toward oneness. And so I would urge you to do that. I would also, by the way, urge you um, to get help. This is not a path that you want to try to walk down on your own. It's really, really important that you reach out uh, and, and have some people come alongside you that you can trust to walk with you. But we can't be right with God when we're not right with our spouse. And this isn't the only place in the New Testament. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And then this last little phrase, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now that word weaker that refers to women here is talking about the fact in this culture that they were dependent, in most cases, on their husband for survival. I know that part of it might not be exactly the same today, but what is still the same is the fact that, guys, we are called to protect and to provide for our wives in every way that we can. And it says that when we're not doing that, that our prayers are hindered. Isn't that amazing? It impacts our relationship with God. We can't be right with God if we're not right with our spouse. And then at the end of this passage, it deals with the subject of divorce. And it says that, that you have done this by divorcing them and you know it's important for us just to say over and over and over again that God's design for marriage is for it to last forever when you enter into a marriage relationship you're entering into a covenant that's that where you've said before God for better for worse until death do us part you know that this is a lasting relationship this is not something that we can get 
out of if things get difficult. I mean, if things aren't right in your relationship, the answer is not to bail out of the relationship. The answer is to seek help and to try to restore and to make things right. So I just would urge you on that front, don't give up. Regardless of of how far gone you think your marriage is, there's always hope. But also realize that it takes two people to do this. It does take two spouses. It takes both people being willing to work on this together, being willing to reach out for help. And again, I would highly encourage something like Reengage, where you can just get together and and work through um, this type of relationship. So, man, so much, so much packed in. Just a, a really short passage of scripture like this. Um, but it's really clear from God's perspective how important the marriage relationship is. And so I just want to encourage those of you that are married, man, pour into that. And even if things are good, by the way, I mean, ministries like Reengage, it's not just for people that are you know, on the brink of divorce. I, I would say that Sean and I have a wonderful marriage. We really, I'm, I feel very blessed in that respect. But there are areas where we need to grow. We all can grow in our relationships. We all need that. So this is for everybody. But then I would also just come back and end with this again to just say, those of you that aren't married, can I just urge you in this, don't settle. Don't settle. It's more important to be right with God than it is to be married. And you may think, well, that's easy for you to say. No, it's it's true. It really is. It's more important to be right with God than it is to be married. And so um, pursue God first. Now, if God brings that other person along and that's your heart's desire and there's somebody that's pursuing God at the same pace you are and you're like, we can do this together, that's wonderful. Celebrate that. That's a great thing. Uh, But just don't settle. Don't give in. Make sure that before you give your heart to someone else, make sure that that person has given their heart to Christ and that they are pursuing him with all that they have. And for those that are married and have that opportunity to do this together, then man, can I just urge you as a couple to say, we are going to make it a priority to grow together in our relationship with God. It's not easy. There are going to be some bumps in the road, but it is well worth the investment. Let's pray together. Lord, today I I do pray for your intervention in our lives, Lord. This is such an important topic. And quite frankly, Lord, I know that it's beyond uh, my ability to communicate as it needs to be done, as it needs to be communicated. There's just... So much more there, but I pray, Lord, through your spirit that you would do a work in the hearts of people today. Um, And Lord, thank you that that you draw us, first of all, to yourself. But I I pray, God, that we are pursuing you wholeheartedly. And I pray for couples, and I pray especially for those that might be going through a rough season right now, that you would provide that hope and the support that is needed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.